0: My fellow women's football fans, if you're watching this, it means you made it to another episode. My name is Bryce, and this is the Women's Soccer slash Football Podcast, where we talk about all about the world of women's soccer or football, depending on where you're watching this from, and we break it all down and have a ton of fun together. Uh, So like I said earlier, this is all about women's soccer, but we mainly talk about the United States Women's National Team, the NWSL, and also the FAWSL, because Manchester United Have a very close place in my heart, and I love following them and I love their squad and their clubs. So um, let's get actually into it for today. We got a lot going on, but first, let me set the scene, which I like to do on every episode of this podcast, because some of you might be listening to this on audio rather than watching it on YouTube. And guys, if you like what you're hearing or if you like what you're seeing in these podcasts, uh, we are also on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. We are everywhere. I will link. Everything down in the description below, or if you want to listen to it on the go, we're also on Spotify and Anchor, and I'm working on getting this podcast into Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, and that process has been going a lot slower than I thought it would. It usually takes about a week for each of those platforms to get approved, so uh, that's kind of where we're at with that, but we got a lot of good stuff going on today. The US Women's National Team has played a couple games this week, and the WSL has also gone through Match Week 13. A lot of games got postponed, which is a little weird, but I guess uh, sort of expected given the COVID-19 ban- pandemic and everything going on, but we'll get into that a little bit later. So, like I said, let's set the scene. So, it's Sunday, January 24th at approximately 11.57 a.m. Central Time, which is where I'm currently located. It's node, uh let's see, two or three inches outside where I'm currently at. I shoveled the driveway before starting this podcast, which was a ton of fun. Who doesn't love manual labor? It gets the body moving. Um, I am currently holding, not in my hand, but actually right next to the camera that you're watching this on, a coffee mug full of a mixture of coffee and hot cocoa. On this mug is my usual coffee is a hug and a mug. It is written in red cursive lettering on the mug for those of you who are listening on audio. And of course, underneath it, I have the coaster that my brother got me for Christmas. That is a Christmas story, which is the movie. It's a Christmas story uh, coaster, and it keeps the counter that I'm working on nice and clean. So thanks, my dude. Um, What else is going on? It's about just below freezing, cold enough to where we're getting snow, not hot enough to where we're getting rain, which I'm totally fine with. I love the snow. I've grown to love winter living in the Midwest my entire life. But uh, that's kind of what we're working with here. So, like I said, for this particular episode, a ton's been going on. We're going to mainly talk about the United States Women's National Team and the results of their second friendly, which took place Friday, January 22nd. It was a ton of fun to watch, and I hope you guys got a chance to watch it. And if not, We're going to break it all down for you right here. Uh, The WSL just finished up all their fixtures for the weekend. It started out with Manchester United and Birmingham City playing, and it finished with Manchester City and Brighton playing each other, which was a bloodbath. But like I said, we'll get into that soon. So let's kick this episode off with some of the first segments of the day. The first segment is just going to be catching up on the United States Women's national team news. Uh, Like I said, this week they played two different friendlies, both against Columbia. The matches were played down in Orlando, Florida at Exploria Stadium. For those of you who, who don't know what Exploria Stadium is, that is where the Orlando Pride of the NWSL play all of their home matches. It's a beautiful stadium and really nice weather, especially for the players because it's cold in all the northern parts of the United States right now. So playing down south. Gives them a bit more of favorable weather conditions so that they don't get hurt as easily, which is great. But anyway, so on Monday they played against Colombia January 18th at about 6 p.m. Central Time. And they came out of that match victorious. They won by a scoreline of 4-0. The Tower of Power herself, Sammy Mui, had a hat trick, which was just absolutely wonderful to see. It's been a lot of fun as a United States Women's National Team fan. Seeing her grow and progress over the last few years. It seems like right before the 2019 World Cup, she started to get on the radar of Jill Ellis, and then ever since then, she's just been on a constant upward trajectory to the point where, in my opinion, she is in the top five in women's midfielders in the entire world. But anyways, I digress a little bit. Um, How did she score those three goals? The first one was an assist from Pino. Uh, Megan Rapinoe, that is, sent a cross, or a little pass, I should say, to Sam, who's sprinting into the box, and she put that one away. Second goal. Can't remember off the top of my head. All she, know, all I know is that she scored it and she did really well. Actually, now that I'm talking about it, it's jogging my memory. Second goal: Lindsey Horan feeds Carly Lloyd a long ball from the left wing. Carly Lloyd heads it back to Sam, who's currently waiting just outside of the goalkeeper's area, and she heads it in for her second goal. Then, last but not least, in the 46 minute, I believe 20 seconds into the second half, Lindsey Horan wins the U.S. a penalty. Which, who else besides Sam Mewis would take it? She steps up, slots at home, and gets her hat trick. And also, since they scored four goals, who else would score it besides her sister? Christy Mewis ended up scoring the fourth goal for the U.S. that day. Carly Lloyd ended up feeding her a nice ball in which she finished very well on the left side of the net. Which, uh, so many, uh, I'm trying to remember, uh, acronyms maybe is the right word for it. Euphemisms for the Mewis sisters, like Mewtwo. Mu Y, Mu E, The Tower of Power, The Towers of Power. So many awesome nicknames for those two can come out of these games, and we're absolutely loving it. Um, I'm just glad that those two have had one heck of a year, and it seems to only be getting better for them, so full credit to them. couple side notes from that particular match. Carly Lloyd had two assists, Lindsey Horan took one, and so did Megan Rapinoe. Um If you guys are curious about what my post-match reaction and observations were for that particular match, I will link that video also down in the description below. Uh, for your viewing pleasure whenever you're ready, so uh, there is that. Uh, moving on a little bit further into Game 2, which actually took place just a few days ago, Friday, January 22nd, at the very same Explorer Stadium in Orlando, Florida. This time around, the U.S., I think, adjusted some things, and they came away victorious by a score of 6 to nil. Uh, some big lines for that, uh, Mitch Person, and Katarina Macario both scored their first international goals for the United States in the particular match, so... Shout out to both of them. That's absolutely fantastic. We love seeing excellent players get a great start to their careers, and I think they did just that. Uh, Carly Lloyd in that particular game bagged another assist. So within two games, Carly Lloyd had three assists. Not too bad for not uh, playing within the last nine months, so full credit to Carly Lloyd for that. Uh, the U.S. had over 20-plus corners, I think, of as of the 79th minute. So they were. it shows you how much on the front foot they really were for that particular game. And with that game winding down, I believe now they're at a streak of 270 plus minutes without allowing a shot on goal, which is absolutely, that, that blows my mind. They, not, not, like it, not even just a goal, like just not giving up a goal in that amount of time is impressive. Not giving up a shot on goal though, wow, at that point you're just not even giving your opponents a chance, so full credit to the US for doing that. Um, the last bit of U.S. Women's National Team news that we have now that these friendlies have come to a close, we will not see the United States back in action for about another three and a half weeks when the She Believes Cup kicks off. For those of you don't know who, uh, for those of you who don't know what the She Believes Cup is, the She Believes Cup is a U.S. hosted tournament each and every year that they put on just to get uh, the national team some international competition. They invite three other teams, they do some pool play, and then they just. Uh, Have some fun and get ready for big competitions like the Olympics this summer. But I digress. Uh, Their next match is going to be on Wednesday, February 18th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm not sure where you can watch that particular match. I believe it's FS1, the last I checked. Not sure if that'll change between now and then, but there is that as well. They will be facing off against Christine Sinclair and the rest of the Canadian squad. Uh, Features players like uh, Sophie Smith, uh, Janine Becky, and the like, it'll be an awesome game to see. Maybe we'll even see Kaylin Sheridan of Sky Blue featuring that particular match because she has been on fire in the NWSL. Alright guys, so that'll do it for the first segment, which is the USM's national team news. Any other news that I might have missed, feel free to jump down to the comments below, and uh, as always, let me know. Let's go into the second segment in that case. For the second segment, we're going to talk about the updates to the FAWSL Golden Boot Rates at... <laughs> rates... My goodness, F-A-W-S-L Golden Boot Race. Wow, I've been fumbling my words and my thoughts like crazy this whole week. I don't know if it's because of all the games going on and whatnot, but anyways, I appreciate you guys sticking with me here. So, um, as I said, Match Week 13 just took place, so naturally, more people have scored goals, and that's all the standings of the Golden Boot Race. Let's take a look. So, in first, currently leading the line is Vivian Miedema of Arsenal. She has 12 goals. Tied, actually no, excuse me, in second, Fran Kirby of Chelsea is getting closer behind Vivian Miedema with eight goals, and then just behind Fran Kirby is teammate Samantha Kerr, who's currently at seven goals, and then tied for third, also Arsenal uh, forward Jill Roard, who's got seven goals as well, she's been having a very very good season, and then Jumping back down a little bit to fifth, we've got Caitlin Ford of Arsenal, who's also having a phenomenal season uh, with six goals. And then with Leah Galton scoring for United today, she is uh, tied for fifth with Caitlin Ford, also with six goals. And then I think it's worth noting um, the four players that are coming in seventh behind that because there's so many ties in this Golden Boot race. So tied for seventh, we have Chloe Kelly, Ella Toon, Ellen White, and Claudia Walker, three of which come, or I'm sorry, two of which come from Manchester City. That's Chloe Kelly and Ellen White, Ella Toon of Manchester United, and Claudia Walker of Birmingham City. They are all tied in seventh in the Golden Boot race with five goals. So breaking down the list, this is how it goes. First, Vivian Miedema. Second, Fran Kirby. Third, Sam Kerr. Also tied for third, Jill Roard. Tied for fifth, Caitlin Ford. And also tied for fifth, Leah Golton. And then tied for seventh, Chloe Kelly, Ella Toon, Ellen White, and Claudia Walker. So that golden boot race is getting closer and closer. I anticipate that um, these are going to uh, get even closer as more games go on because quite a few games have been postponed this season due to COVID-19, weather conditions, all the like. So it'll be really interesting. If you guys would like to keep up on the Golden Boot Race on your own, I will link the article that I use to track it live down in the description below. The BBC has a really nice article that always uh, updates it live, which is excellent. And that's what I use for this particular podcast. And just to kind of make it interesting, let's actually take a look at the assist leaders in the league as of match week 13. So in first, we have another Arsenal player, which is Katie McCabe. She's got seven assists on the season. Treading very closely behind her is teammate Beth Mead with six assists on the season. Treading behind Beth Mead is another Arsenal teammate, which is Caitlin Ford, who, like I said, has been having a phenomenal season for Arsenal. She's got five assists. And then going really closely behind her is Fran Kirby of Chelsea with four assists, and also Izzy Christensen, who is tied for fourth, also with fourth, four assists. Izzy Christensen plays for Everton. And then also tied for fourth, I'm sorry guys, I didn't realize there were four players tied for fourth, so Jordan Nobbs is also tied for fourth, Lucy Bronze also tied for fourth, all with four assists, so I'm going to repeat that. Fran Kirby, Izzy Christensen, Jordan Nobbs, Lucy Bronze, all tied for fourth with four assists currently. And then, noting some other players that are treading closely behind, there are four players tied for eighth, which include Chloe Kelly of Manchester City, Ella Toon of Manchester United... Lucy Graham of Everton, and Jess Fishlock of Reading. All of them are tied for eighth in assists with three assists. So everybody from first to eighth is like within an assist or two of each other, so that's also going to be a really tight race, which will probably be evened out as more games get played throughout the season. So really exciting stuff, guys. Like I said, that article I will link down in the description below. We'll give you the uh, live Golden Boot uh, tally and also the live Assist Award tally. I'm not sure what the Assist Award is really called. If there's a name for it, um, then I've got to figure out what that name is. But let's keep it going, shall we? So that'll do it for this particular second segment. Who do you guys think is going to emerge victorious at the end of the season for the golden, Golden Boot and the Assist Award? Feel free to jump down in the comments below and let me know. Okay. with the first two segments down and out of the way let's get into the third segment and on Sunday episodes like these the third segment is FAWSL results from the match week it just wraps up the week really nicely because all the FAWSL matches are typically played on Sunday some of them are on Saturday I love it when the matches are spread out through Saturday and Sunday because for fans like us who watch really closely it gives us more of an opportunity to watch as many games as possible because I only have so many devices that I can really watch games on but that's neither here nor there. Let's get into the results. So, the main headline for this particular week is postponements. Uh, the reason being is because four out of the six games for this match week were postponed. I'll read them off to you. Aston Villa, Reading was postponed. Arsenal, West Ham United was postponed. Going down a little bit further in the list, Bristol City and Chelsea was postponed. Tottenham and Everton was also postponed. So, that's two, four. There's probably one match I'm missing. But, um, yeah, four out of the six matches were all postponed. All the articles I was reading this morning said that the postponements were due to severe weather conditions and unsafe pitch conditions. I believe in England they got a ton of snow. I don't know how much exactly, but authorities were saying that they got a ton of snow. They did some pitch inspections at these respective clubs, and they said, okay, the, these pitches are unsafe to be used for... Um, games so they decide to call them off which is pretty par for the course for the season like I said with the COVID-19 pandemic with winter approaching it seems like a lot of games have been getting postponed which you know it's it, it's not a bad thing because it's all in the name of player safety the main thing is for these players to be comfortable on the pitch that they're uh, using to be safe on the pitch that they're using so that's really important so there's nothing wrong with canceling games if it means keeping the players safe at least in my opinion. But anyways, guys, so with that, then there were two matches that were played uh, today. That is Manchester United and Birmingham City and Brighton and Manchester City. So the first match of the day was Manchester United to Br- Birmingham City by uh, to Birmingham City's nil. Let me rephrase that to be a little bit more clear. Manchester United won today by a score of two to nil against Birmingham City. Um, With that win, Manchester United have actually returned to the top of the table. They got all three points today, which is exciting. Uh, We had two goal scorers for the match today, which was Leah Galton and Ella Toon. Leah Galton got an excellent ball from a very creative Lauren James today, who crossed it um, into the center of the field. And under pressure, Leah Galton went ahead and slotted it home. For those of you who don't know, Leah Galton won the December Player of the Month for the WSL uh, pretty recently. So good on her for keeping her run of form. And fast forward to the 81st minute, Elatoon had a shot that ricocheted off the post and went into goal. Kirsty Hansen sped up the right wing, went around the left back of Birmingham City, fought to keep the ball alive, got it to Elatoon, who turned around from a tough angle, did it off the post, and scored, which was absolutely fantastic. And that pretty much sealed uh, Manchester United's win. Moving on to the second match of the day, which was Brighton against Manchester City. And... Per usual with a lot of these matches, Manchester City was dominant throughout the entire match. Manchester City beat Brighton by a scoreline of 7-1. to These were all the goals that happened for City. Caroline Weir actually scored a really early brace in the game. She scored in the 12th minute and the 16th minute. A little bit while later, fast forward a little bit um, closer to the halftime, Steph Houghton scored in the 41st minute. And then moving on to the second half, Ellen White scores another goal in the 58th minute, as good strikers always do. And then Steph Houghton actually got her brace just three minutes later out of the 61st minute. I didn't get a chance to watch that particular goal, but I heard it was a worldie, so check it out if you got some time. And if you're curious as to where you can find that goal, I would recommend going to the FA player. That's the space FA space player. Um, You can download it on iOS or the Google Play Store. It's an app. But anyways... Uh, going a little bit further into the match, Chloe Kelly scores in the seventy uh, third minute, making it uh, six goals, and then Janine Becky finishes off the scoring for Manchester City in the seventy seventh minute with another goal. So on the other side of that coin, we've got Everton. Rihanna Jarrett managed to get a, or I'm sorry, not Everton, who Brighton. Going on the other side of that coin to Brighton. Uh, Rihanna Jarrett scored in the 69th minute to give them a uh, one goal and to avoid a clean sheet for the day. Um, for this particular match, it, it's been pretty par for the course for Manchester City to beat teams that are below them in the table. Their goal difference is climbing higher and higher as the days go, go on. Let me actually double-check the WSL table to see what their goal difference is. Because it's getting really, really, really high. It's probably in the positive 20s by now. Yep. So with that win today, Manchester City's goal difference is plus 27. Believe it or not, it's still three goals behind the league's best. The league's best goal differential is 30, which which belongs to Arsenal currently. But with their win today, City have actually jumped into the top three in the league with 24 points. They are two points behind the next uh, position which is Chelsea. So big result for them today. And with how close the top of the table has uh, been this season, it wouldn't surprise me if this league really came down to goal difference. Uh, Just to give you guys an idea of the top four currently, and first we have Manchester United with 29 points, Chelsea with 26 points, and second with two games in hand. I'm sorry, three games in hand. Manchester City with 24 points, two games in hand. And then Arsenal in fourth with 23 points, uh, another two games in hand. So between uh, second and fourth right now is only three points. So once all these matches get played, I have a feeling those point, uh, the differences between those points is going to get really close and the margins are going to be thin. So if I am a gambling man, I think City's going to have the best goal difference by the end of the season, and I think it's going to help them get to a Champions League spot. I don't know if City are strong enough to win the title this year, but I think that they for sure deserve to be in the Champions League. The reason I say that, if you'll notice, like I said earlier, it seems like City always have no issues with um, essentially stomping on teams that are below them in the table. They consistently win against the Bristol Cities, the Brightons, the Aston Villas by a really high goal margin, like 7-0, 8-0, 7-1, 9-0, it... It's, it's 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 baffling to me because it's like they beat the teams that they should beat, which is great because championship teams always do that. But when they go against the Chelseas of the league, the Man Uniteds, the Arsenals, they tend to struggle a little bit. They tend to not get the results that they need. Um, they just lost to Chelsea. This is in a non-league play. This was in the Continental Tires League Cup, but they just lost to Chelsea a couple days ago. They drew to Man United in a game that they dominated all the way up until the second half in, and it, it, the, I don't think the results are necessarily there for them against these bigger clubs in order to really make a convincing stand that they have a shot to win the league this year. Um, that might be a bold statement, but at the end of the day, if you're going to win the league, you've got to beat you've got to beat everybody, and you got to beat everybody consistently, and against better sides, they seem really inconsistent in that aspect, which is good for us fans because then it creates a really interesting, um, competitive cycle that we get to look forward to all the time. Not everything's so predictable, which is great, but um, I can't quite figure out wh- why City are having uh, trouble against these be- uh, better clubs. Um, with the signing of Abby Dahlkemper, I think it helps a little bit because when they play Chelsea, when they play Arsenal, it- their back line gets strengthened, it'll give the forwards of those opposing teams problems, so maybe. Maybe that's the answer, but I guess um, time will tell as the season goes on, because on paper, I mean, I think Manchester City are one of the most talented teams in the league, if not the most talented team in the league, Four world-class uh, defenders, some world-class strikers and midfielders. Um, in my opinion, they should be getting better results with that squad on paper, but at the end of the day, um, it might be a harsh criticism, but at the end of the day, chemistry is what it really comes down to, and I think that as time goes on, we'll see if they can all gel. And as always, with all these footballers, I hope they have um, never-ending success going forward. So um, what do you guys think about the results of today's particular match? Do you think it means anything interesting for the league results going forward? Uh, jump down in the comments below and let me know your thoughts. Or alternatively, if you've got a favorite WSL team that you support, I'd be curious to see what that team is. Feel free to comment that down below as well. All right. So guys, that'll do it for the segments for this particular podcast episode, and that brings us to the main topics of the evening. So what these main topics are is they are the uh, main course, I would say, of the podcast where I go really deep down into some topics that I uh, select uh, myself just going on throughout the week. I grab the biggest headlines that I possibly can, and I dive deeper into them. I typically like to do two or three of these main topics. Sometimes I do more if there's a ton going on. But uh, nevertheless, we've got two on us today. Let's get into the first main topic. So, the first main topic is going to be my thoughts and observations and reactions from the United States Women's National Team second friendly against Colombia. So, like I mentioned earlier, uh, the United States Women's National Team won this game by a scoreline of six to nil. Uh, some important notes, Katarina Macario opened the scoring and made her first start for the U.S. Women's National Team at the striking position. She opened the scoring really early on in the game on a cross from Allie Krieger. Allie Krieger was flying up the wing, got a cross into Katarina Macario, who finished it into the top corner. It was a very good finish for uh, such a young player, so it was excellent. Um, what, my favorite part about that goal was the sheer joy that I could see on Katerina Macario's face. She did this glorious fist pump into the air. For those of you who are listening on audio, I'm trying to imitate it as much as I can. But out of fear of punching my own microphone, I'm going to kind of limit it a little bit. But she kind of gave this like little hop. It was just really cool to see a player who has come so far in uh, her life and her career. I follow her story a little bit about how she came to the United States and how she started playing for the U.S. Women's National Team, the adversity f- she faced. It's really cool to see players like that overcome obstacles and succeed in life, and that was just a really cool moment um, from that particular match that I wanted to share with you all. Uh, moving on to the second goal of the day, so uh, Megan Rapino ended up scoring the second one, and in the 35th minute, she shot the ball toward goal on the left wing. It deflected off a Colombian player and went into the back of the net, and she gave a really uh, subtle... Um, oh, what do you call it? Celebration, just kind of a little bit of a shimmy. But um, it was really cool seeing her score again. She hasn't played in a really long time, and seeing her get back into the swing of things and be successful—who doesn't love that, right? Um, moving on a little bit later, fast forward about ten minutes, uh, on a corner, Sam Mewis was going to head the ball into goal, but she was dragged down by a Colombian defender. At which the referee awarded a penalty, and who uh, none other than Megan Rapino went ahead and took it. She took it with grace, beauty, and she hit the lower right-hand corner of the uh, net and scored, so that made it 3 to nil right before the break. I, I have to digress a little bit here and say, while Megan Rapinoe is probably one of the best penalty takers I've ever seen, even if the keeper guesses right, which in this case the Colombian goalkeeper did, shout it to her because she had a phenomenal game, but um even if the keeper guesses right, it more often than not, Megan Rapinoe's shot is so precise that it beats the keeper anyway, so um, I can see why Megan takes a lot of their set pieces and penalties. She's so accurate. Uh, let's jump into the second half. So uh, fast forward to the 60th minute, Lynn Williams has a delicious ball from Sam Mewis and scores it with a header. It was really cool to see Lynn Williams rise to the occasion and finish that particular chance. Uh, just, um, a few minutes before the inverse happened where Lynn Williams had this gorgeous ball to Sam U from the right wing. Uh, Sam was no goalkeepers in front of Sam. Nobody was in front of Sam, but Sam ricocheted directly off of the post and it went out. That's just really, really bad luck. Um, Sam Sam's world class, she knows that she's got to put away those chances. I just thought that was a little bit of bad luck. But um, it, all in all, it was a phenomenal play, and I'm really glad that Lynn Williams was able to put that, uh, put that goal away, making it 4-0 for the U.S. Uh, just after that, in the 62nd minute, Vlad Komedanovsky put on three subs. He subbed in Crystal Dunn, Carly Lloyd, Lindsay Horan, all in for Katerina Macario, Rose Lavelle, and Megan Rapinoe. Uh, it was really cool because Crystal Dunn, we got to see play in the front line in this game, which myself as USM's national team fan, I've never seen Crystal Dunn play on the front line in an international game. Of course, she's done so with the North Carolina Courage and has excelled there, but we'll talk about that later. Um, a few minutes later, Vladko brings in two more subs. He subs on Christy Muis and Midge Purse for Sam Mewis and also Lynn Williams. Uh, Purse also got to play up top this game too and shine there. I'll talk about that later. Um, moving on six minutes later, a lot of, a lot of stuff happened in the 60, between the 60th minute mark and the 75th minute mark, but, uh, Lindsay Horan put away a volley from none other than Crystal Dunn off of a corner. She finished a sweet volley off of her right foot into the upper right corner of the net. And it was fantastic to see Lindsay score. If you want my opinion, I think Lindsay Horan was probably the second best player from these two friendlies, but, um, she just played great up and down the pitch it was phenomenal to see uh five minutes later Emily Fox is subbed on for Allie Krieger Emily Fox the number one draft pick in the NWSL draft that's right she was picked by Racing Louisville just a couple weeks ago uh she made her third appearance for the club and uh she played in the left back position I believe and she she also played pretty well too for the minutes that she was in and then last but not least in the 86th minute midge purse scored a wonderful header off of the foot of carly lloyd carly lloyd uh drifted onto to the left wing uh on a pass from i can't remember who but anyways she used her left foot got the pass to midge purse and midge purse finished it excellently to score her first international goal super cool to see and super happy for her as well so with all of those with that match recap guys there's a lot to unpack here but let's first start out with the lineup So starting in goal, we had uh, Jane Campbell. I almost said a listener there. So we had Jane Campbell, and then starting at the right-back position, we had Allison Krieger. In the center-back position alongside Allie Krieger, we had uh, Alana Cook. And then next to Alana Cook, we had Tierna Davidson of the Chicago Red Stars. On the left-back position, we had Emily Saucy Sonnet. Who doesn't love Emily Sonnet? Um, In the holding midfield position, we had Julie Ertz. And then playing just up a little bit higher in the central midfield, position was Rose Lavelle and Sam Mewis and then pushing up to the forward line we had Lynn Williams on the right wing Megan Rapinoe on the left wing and Katarina Macario up top in the striking position um some might say that uh Vladko used Katarina Macario more of in a false nine position almost like a center forward or center attacking mid which makes a ton of sense because that's where Macario excels And what's really interesting is that in previous matches, from what I've been seeing, I'm trying to remember correctly, but I believe Latko's even used Alex Morgan in that respect too. But um, that's another topic for another time. But uh, looking at the subs then, we had Ashlyn Harris, uh, Lindsey Horan, Emily Fox, Crystal Dunn, Carly Lloyd, Christy Mewis, and Midge Purse. So overall thoughts on that particular lineup, Uh, he mixed it up a lot, which... I think all of us as fans were kind of expecting because in that first match, it's kind of like taking stock of your best lineup. How are they doing? How are they gelling? Because you don't want to not play them all together because then they lose that mojo. And with a big tournament coming up like the She Believes Cup, you want to be sure you're ready for that tournament. So it made a ton of sense that they did that for the first game. But then for the second game with how many youngsters and how many new uh, up-and-coming players he took, I'm sure he wanted to see as many of them play as possible. And also take stock of who he might want to take to the Olympics with him. Like I've said on previous videos, um, I think that he's still trying to sort out which of the six defenders he's going to take outside of Kelly O'Hara, Crystal Dunn, uh, Abby Dahlkemper, and Becky Sarbrun. I contend that he's probably going to take Ally Krieger and one other defender. um, At least that's what I was saying a month ago. I have a stronger feeling based on these last two games that Emily Sonnet is making a case for herself. A really strong one too. But... Uh, keeping it going overall, um, let's start at the goalkeeping position. Here are some of my thoughts. Not surprised that Alyssa Nair didn't start this particular game. It, it, she really didn't need to. In that first match, she touched the ball three times, two of which run goal kicks, and she only had to make one punching save, and it was a pretty weak effort from Colombia at that point. Flatcard already knows what Alyssa Nair can do. She's proven tried and true for the last year or two. I don't see a reason why he should have... Um, waste another opportunity for another player just to maybe even hurt a listener. So um, I'm not surprised he didn't start in this game. Uh, Jane Campbell got the start and I'm super pumped for her because she has been trying to get into this team. I think for a while, I believe she was in the U S women's national team squad a few years back, but she really hasn't been in it since. Um, I was surprised that she got the start and I was surprised that she was a listener's backup in the first match. But um, regardless, I'm, I'm super pumped for her. Like I said, I love for all these players to, to succeed and do well. Um, I'm not sure if Jane Campbell getting the start and also backing up a listener in the game previously is an indicator that um, she has just been performing better than the other two keepers. That's Aubrey Bledsoe and Ashlyn Harrison camp. It could just be that Jane Campbell is performing lights out. She's playing so well that Vladker can't ignore her, so he's giving her a little bit more time to play. Um, that's all speculation that's neither here nor there, but that's just kind of an interesting, um, thought that I had when it comes to the back line for this particular game. Not surprised that he completely changed it because like I said, I think it, it's pretty clear who the best four defenders are in the group. And like I said earlier, that was Kelly O'Hara, Sauerbrunn, doll Dahl and Dunn, but, um, there's still other things that he's got to sort out. I hypothesized in previous videos that he took the ten defenders that he did to this particular um to this particular camp is because he's still trying to sort out who else he's going to take to the Olympics, which makes a ton of sense because see as much of the playing field as you can and sort it out from there. Um, I was really pumped to see Allie Krueger get the start, especially since she was uh, wasn't even in the subs for the last match. The fact that she wasn't in the sub match really surprised me because, like I said, I would say she's one of the top five defenders in the U.S. right now. But um, for this particular match, I'm super pumped she got the start and she also played really well to boot. Um, I'm really happy that Emily Sonnet got the start at left-back. I've said in previous videos that I'm not really very high on Emily Sonnet and to her credit, she has proven me wrong in both games for this particular friendly, so her stock in my eyes has definitely risen. She's played really well both games, um, so good honor for getting the start for this one. I was really surprised to see Alana Cook in the central defending position. From what I know about Alana Cook, which isn't a ton, mind you, I don't believe her natural position is a central defender. I believe she is an outside back by trade, so I, I'm thinking that this was Vladko's way of maybe trying something and maybe just getting an opportunity to see as many defenders as he can. So I, I think that's the rationale for that. What was really interesting was that uh, Tierna Davidson and Alana Cook seem to emulate the um the playing styles of what Becky Sarbrun and Abby Dahlkemper do in that Tierna Davidson is like the stopper where she'll um, go a little bit higher up toward the midfield line and make stops, much like Tierna Davidson did. And then Alana Cook would be used to defend when she needed to and send long balls forward, which is exactly what Alana Cook did, much like Abby Dahlkemper did in the first game. Um, I think the reason why he put Alana Cook there was because maybe it just gave the best balance for what he wanted to see, but also provided a good back line for the U.S. So um, who knows with that one? Uh, last but not least, Tierna Davidson. I'm not surprised that she started. I think she's a very I think she's a very good and a very versatile player. Um, she made the squad for the World Cup in 2019. I think Jill Ellis might have rated her pretty highly. I think that um she's on the radar for the future. I don't know if um that'll change or not. Like I said, it'll all depend on if she plays well. So um that'll do it for my thoughts on the defensive line. Let's go to the midfield. No surprises here. It's pretty much been a constant rotation between uh Julie Ertz, who almost plays every single minute for every single game, uh, Lindsay Haran, Roosevelt, and Sam Mewis. those four to me could easily be top five midfielders in the entire world. And it's been it's been pretty much a playing quartet between the four of them. And it, I guess it, it it's kind of nice that they have Christy Mewis because then it gives them that nice little uh, reprieve if they need it with a fifth really solid midfielder. I don't think Christy Mewis is anywhere really near the talent and the skill that the other four have, but still, she is definitely a very solid option to go with in midfield. Um, like I said, it, it seems as though Julie is pretty much guaranteed to play every game, all game long. She's just an absolute tank, and she's she's a, just a fantastic player. I think she's widely regarded as like top 10 in the world, which I think is definitely warranted. Um, same thing with Sam Mewis. I think Sam Mewis is definitely in my mind, top 10 players, like not, not just the like midfielders players in the entire world. And I think she's established herself as the first name on the team sheet, which makes a ton of sense, given the way she's been playing the last two years. Um, you get a lot of flexibility between Lavelle and Haran. They both give you really good positives that you can use in any situation, pretty much. Uh, Christy probably in this game could have started to give Lindsay and Rose a rest or even Sam. But I think with Lindsay not playing in the last friendly against the Netherlands and then also Rose being injured, I think he wanted to give them, uh, that's Haran and Lavelle more time to play so we could see them, uh, and just see how they're doing and picking up. Uh, that's just kind of my rationale for that. And I'm, I'm going to say this now, and I know this probably won't be a very popular opinion amongst you listening, but. In my mind, I don't think Christy Mewis is going to end up on the Olympic roster. I just don't think that if she was like one of the world's best, I would say yes. But the fact of the matter is the other four midfielders, that's Lavelle, Horan, Mewis, Sam Muis that is, and Julie Ertz. I don't think with that crowded of a midfield and you only get pretty much five midfielders to take the Olympics with you that she'll make it into that fifth spot. I think that fifth spot is going to be saved for Katerina Macario because Macario can play not only the midfield, but she can play up top in the striking position. She can be really versatile in both. So that's kind of my take on that. However, I think Christy Mewis is starting to solidify herself as the fact that she should be a regular in these camps. Um, So pretty much every other tournament besides the Olympics, I would take Christy Mewis with the squad, just not for the Olympics because you only get so much room. And I think there's better options on the field. Not to say that Christy Mewis is a bad player. I want to be clear on that. That is not what I'm saying. I think Christy Mewis is a very solid and a very good player. I just don't think she is, quote-unquote, a world-class um, player that's better than what the U.S. has right now. So that's just kind of my thoughts on the midfield. Going up to the forward line, um, I wasn't surprised that Katerina got her first international start. Uh, I fully expected that. I just didn't expect her to get it at the striking position. That really shocked me. Um it worked out well because I alluded this to this a little bit earlier. She played more of like a false nine position, which is more of a, for those of you who don't know what a false nine position is, it's where your striker is normally playing like up top in front of goal. But in a false nine, you take that striker, you kind of push them back just a little bit kind of below your left and your white right winger. And they more so feed the wingers and facilitate play up the pitch, which for the US, I think it makes a ton of sense for what they have and Macario played into that really well obviously she scored she dribbled through traffic when she needed to she did really great play and like I said that's almost consistent with the way that Vladko I believe has used Alex Morgan in the past I think Vladko just brings a slightly different style than Jill Ellis does while hanging on to some of the things that Jill Ellis did because some of the things Jill Ellis did were brilliant but that, that's just kind of an interesting different tactical style that I saw throughout the game I wasn't surprised to see Megan Rapinoe get more minutes. I think she absolutely needed them to get back into the swing of things. The one thing that I will say is I wish she would have gotten more minutes because she's only played she only played 90 out of the 180 possible. Maybe is just trying to ease her back into it. Um, that very well could be. He kind of did the same thing with Alex Morgan for the Netherlands friendly. Um, Williams got the start on the right wing, which wasn't a huge deal. I would have rather seen Sophia Smith or Mal Pugh get the start there, but as I learned throughout the game, I believe they both picked up injuries uh, early on in camp. So there's that. I feel really bad for Sophia Smith and Mallory Pugh, Mallory Pugh especially because it seems as though Mallory Pugh is like always injured. I mean, I think she's one of the most talented uh, players in the world. Maybe in the world, hmm. I think she can be one of the most talented players in the world eventually, but. She just keeps getting hurt, and it's lessing, lessening the amount of opportunities that she gets to uh, show off what she can do. So there is that. Uh, let's get into the overall team performance. So overall, obviously, they played great. When you score six goals, you're not having a bad day. They, If I'm not mistaken, they held Columbia, Columbia to no shots on goal again. That makes it 270-plus minutes in a row where they haven't allowed a shot on goal. One of the things I noticed was they were a lot more patient in their build-up play. They weren't as hasty trying to get the ball up the pitch really, really quickly. What they would do is, instead of just trying to quickly get the ball into the midfield and feed uh, Ertz, Haran, and Mewis, what they would do is they would sort of give it back to the fullbacks, they would give it back to the central defenders, and sometimes they'd even pass the ball back to Jane Campbell just to kind of reset the play a little bit and try to find an opening. I thought that was really wise because in the first game, it seemed as though they lost the ball in the midfield pretty often, which is really uncharacteristic for them. And I think it can be attributed to them maybe trying to just go too fast in their buildup. So something really interesting to see. Um, Vladko even made a comment about it in the second half saying something like, uh, patience, good, or, or something along those lines. If you watch the replay back, go to like the 70-something minute. He says something about that. I just can't remember what exactly it was. Um, so with them playing out of the back and actually using, um, the center defenders and the fullbacks more to pass and facilitate play, I think it made it a lot less risky. Like I said, they lost the ball a lot fewer times, and I think it made them a little bit more organized and composed in attack. So that was pretty good to see. Um, it made a ton of sense because like I said, in the first match, they would lose possession a lot. Um, it it seemed as though that... Um, the fullbacks also weren't making as many uh, cuts into it, like inside cuts toward the penalty area. What they would do in the first game is I would see Kelly O'Hara and Crystal Dunn a lot of times where they would bypass the wingers, that's Rapino and Williams, and they'd cut inside to receive the pass. And then they would either shoot or they would cross the ball. This game around, it seemed as though when they did make those cuts, they made them less often and they made them more toward the outside. I think the idea being that. Uh, The midfielder, the wingers, would feed those outside backs, and the backs would cross it, thus giving them time to get back and defend. So work smarter seemed to be the mentality. The U.S. is always going to work hard and have a high work rate. That's just kind of a given, but I think they applied more uh, smart tactics for this particular game. Um, Kind of a negative critique for this game. I think their lofted and long balls are pretty poor for this particular game. I feel bad for saying this, but they were really bad f- from a standpoint of Alana Cook and Tierna Davidson. There were so many occasions where either Cook or Davidson would maybe try to send long balls forward to the forward line, but either the passes were just way too short, they were way too long, they were to Colombian opposition. It just wasn't quite working. I think they might have just had a bad day at the office, as it were, which happens, you know, it happens to a lot of great players, but, um. Even some of the passes to the rest of the back line were a little inaccurate. There was one particular example where Tanner Davidson had the ball. She was doing a long ball to Allie Krieger, and it was just way too low, way too short, and it went right to a Colombian winger. And that that's just one of the examples that came to mind when uh, talking about this particular bit. But um, then again, I will say in the previous match, I think we got a little spoiled because Abby Dahlkemper was nearly perfect in passing. She was throwing straight dimes to the forward line and everybody else so th- that's also something to kind of keep in mind as I do that critique but um maybe it was a good test to see if Tierna Davidson and Alana Cook could handle the style that Flacco uses for uh, Becky Sauerbrunn and Abby Dahlkemper but um, really interesting experiment and I'm glad he tried it uh, on the flip side of that coin though in terms of ground passing and crossing I thought it was exceptional again I mean It seems as though that the U.S. does a really good job of passing the ball, whether short or long, on the ground, and their crossing is second to none. I mean, I think that they probably cross more to the center of the pitch, right in front of goal, more than any other team in the world, and they do a really good job at it. Uh, Good examples of that for this match. Allie Krieger was absolutely mint doing it. I mean, there are so many occasions where she'd fly up the wing and get the cross to the center which paid off because Katarina Macario got her uh, first goal off of that. And I believe that Krieger got a second assist using a cross too. I can't remember off the top of my head, but nonetheless, Krieger was putting the ball into really dangerous areas. And so was Emily Sonnet. So there's that. Um, Most of the assists, I would say, actually came from crosses too. Uh, You look at Krieger, you look at Crystal Dunn from a cross on a corner kick, and then you look at Mewis and Lloyd. All of them were pretty much crosses to the center of the box. So the U.S. has gotten that skill down. Very, very well, at least for these two games. And speaking of just assists in general, the finishing for that particular match was a lot better. um I don't think it was perfect. There were still shots, especially early on, early on in the game from Rapino, from Lavelle, where they'd get into dangerous areas, but they would just shoot it and it would fly wide, it would fly high. Um, that happens. I still think it was better this game. The reason being is because uh, Williams, Lynn Williams, had his Mitch Burst, Katarina Macario, Lindsey Horan. When they all got their opportunities, they all finished really strong. They made sure that that ball went into the back of the net, and you'll you'll see it in the results. We scored t- they they scored two more goals today than, or not today in the front in the second friendly than they did in the first. So that's just a good example of that. Um, I think there's still work to do with their finishing, but this was a really good couple of matches for them leading up to the She Believes Cup to kind of get back into that groove. Um, Let's move on. So that'll do it for like the team performance. What about the individual performances uh, for this particular match? I pretty much analyzed everybody in my notes, it looks like. But um, starting off with Jane Campbell, we'll kind of go back to front here. Um, With Jane Campbell, not really much to do. She definitely touched the ball a lot more in this game than Alyssa Nair did. The reason being is because I think, like I said earlier, they were playing... Uh, They were facilitating play from the backline a lot more this particular game, and that's why I think that when the backline would face pressure, they would just give it back to Jane Campbell, which makes a ton of sense. Uh, Having said that, Jane Campbell, I think, distributed the ball adequately enough to keep the play getting started again, so she didn't play bad by any means. Um, I just don't think she had the opportunity to really shine as much as uh, you'd want as a player, but like I said, she didn't play bad by any means. Um, Starting off with Ellie Krieger, wow. Seeing Ellie Krieger it was just fantastic. she defended really well. She played in a ton of crosses, got an assist today. I think she played a fantastic game, having said all of that. um if you're looking for a comparison, I think she had a better game for the second friendly than what Kelly O'Hara had for the first game. Not saying that Krieger's better than O'Hara, but I think Krieger, like I said, I think this game further um furthers my point that Krieger's still like a top five defender in the squad and that she should be going to the Olympics. And today just proves proves just that Um, it's moving over to Alana Cook. So earlier I criticized Alana Cook's uh, long ball passing, which I still stand by. I will say, though, she defended very well when the situation called upon it. Whenever she was one on one with a Colombian forward, she handled it pretty well. A lot of no nonsense defending. I think she handled every situation uh, pretty well. Um, and to her credit, um, speaking of the long balls, like I said earlier, I don't think the central defending position is her natural spot. I think she's more of an outside back from what I know about her. But um, one other interesting thing that I noticed from a lot of Cook was she got on the end of a lot of good corners and crosses. There were two or three occasions where I remember the U.S. would take a corner. She'd get her get her head to it. It would be maybe a little high, a little wide. But she was getting into some dangerous areas and making the most of it. So good on her for that. She was really threatening uh tierna davidson moving on a little bit further she kind of played eh, she played okay i don't think she had a great day i would say that this is probably her bad day at the office um she didn't defend particularly well uh she had a lot of wayward passes i will say though she did close down a columbian forward in the 83rd minute with a lot of poise and a lot of aggressiveness and it ultimately uh save them from getting a shot on goal to keep the streak alive. So full credit to her for that. But other than that, uh, not really too much doing for her that day, which happens sometimes. You know, some players just have bad days at the office. Uh, moving on to the last defender, Emily Sonnet played really well again. She was fantastic on the ball. In particular, she was fantastic off the ball. She would do this thing where the Colombian forward line would get the ball. They'd kind of be moving slowly up and build up, and she would lull them to sleep then she would pounce like a tiger and then steal the ball and then start building up play for the U.S. again. She did that a couple of times, and I thought that was fantastic to see. Um, and In addition to that, I would say she crossed pretty well in this game, too. She would get forward on the left wing and get in some balls into some dangerous areas. Uh, moving on up to Earth's business as usual, she didn't stand out in this particular game, but she played well as she always does, winning balls in the midfield, defending out of her mind. It was It was great to see. Uh, one highlight I remember was she got this long ball from Allie Krieger off of a free kick. She got her head to it. It was just a little wide, but to her credit, it was in a really tough spot. So um, moving on to Roosevelt, she did a great job of facilitating play to dangerous areas. Uh, her and Katerina Macario had some good link-up play on multiple occasions, which created some great chances. Um, I think she could have shot just a little bit better, but hey, like I said, she's been injured for a while, so that'll come back uh, with healing and time as well. Moving on to Sam Mewis, Sam Mewis at this point is uh, you know, one of the world's best still. She dominated again in this game. She was creating chances. She was winning ball in the midfield. There were times where she would just be moving, and it was as if she was floating like up and down the pitch. She would win the ball in her defensive third. She would outrun every Colombian player in her path and create a chance. It was, it was awesome to see, and she definitely showed her uh, skill in this particular game. Uh, moving on to the forward line then so we've got Lynn Williams Lynn Williams I think played better in this game there was one chance this is me being a little nitpicky here but there was one chance she had one-on-one with the goalkeeper where she just had to chip it over her and she would have scored and she uh, chipped it right into the keeper and failed to convert the chance when that's just the chance that uh, you got to finish but um like I said that's a bit of a nitpick from my end because she, later on in the game, she made it up. She had a great cross to Sam Hughes, who hit it off the post. And she also put away a fantastic header from a tough spot from Sam Hughes, so there's that too. So like I said, Lynn Wims played better this game, um, but you can always do better as well, so um, there is that. Uh, Megan Rapinoe, she played well again. She did exactly what she does as a winger should. She crossed the ball into dangerous areas, scored when she needed to, put away uh, her chances as they came and she showed off her uh, normal high composure level with that penalty and with the goal that she had. So um, moving on to the last starter, Katerina Macario. I think she excelled in her very first international start. Uh, her playing in that number nine role, I think, was very suiting for her. It, it's very much akin to what she did at Stanford. Um, she would get that ball a little bit deeper into the midfield Uh, facilitate play to the wings, also dribble through traffic and take on her own shots when she needed to. There was one shot she had in particular that was a good bender to the lower half of the corner, but the Colombian goalkeeper uh, had a really great save to her credit and uh, kept the ball out. Um, I'm really upset that I can't remember the Colombian goalkeeper's name. I should know that because she deserves a shout-out because she played phenomenally in both friendlies. Um, Other notes, good on the ball again. She did a good job maneuvering through traffic. And she also shows a little, showed a little bit more calmness and poisonous uh, throughout the game. There's one instance in particular where she was all alone near the penalty area. She had nowhere to go. She didn't have an angle to shoot. She dribbled to the left wing and just said, well, if nobody's going to be here, I'm just going to kick it off a, a, a defender and earn a corner. And that's exactly what she did. So really cool to see her be composed in those tough spots. So that does it for the individual performances for all the stars. What about the subs? So we'll start off here with Crystal Dunn. I was super pumped to see her play in the forward line. Uh, like I said, me as a U.S. Women's national team fan, I've never seen her play the forward line in particular, and it was cool to see her in that attacking role. I thought she did a fantastic job. She had really good link-up play with Lindsay Horan moving up the pitch. Uh, they had some really good combo passes, and she also took just about every set piece after Megan Rapinoe left the pitch. So, um she got even an assist to Lindsay so that was really cool too. Um it was just fantastic to see her play up top because she can play anywhere and I just think that she continues to prove that um how big of an asset she can be to any team including this one. So there's that. Um moving on to Carly Lloyd. So with this particular match Carly Lloyd now has three assists in two matches. I feel bad because she's gotten on the end of many crosses and she's had a lot of chances to finish, but she hasn't quite been able to put goals away. But nonetheless, she gets involved no matter what and is able to uh, do what she's got to do. She had a great assist to purse for this particular game. Um, she struggled a little bit this particular game. The one chance that she ended up finishing was toward the end of the game, but she was called offside, so that was a bit of a bummer. But uh, nonetheless, uh, she I think she played well overall. To her credit, she had been getting mugged. Like both games, she got mugged again in this game too. Or the the Colombian defense would just throw her, shove her, you know. So when you've got that much physical contact on your back, it's hard to kind of cope with that. Uh So I, I think Lloyd played great. Moving on to Lindsay Horan, she had a great goal off of the volley. She was aggressive, powerful. She was great in uh, the passing game. She just did what she does best, and we we absolutely love to see it. She had a great lobbed ball on the set piece. I can't remember who it went to. It might have went to Carly Lloyd, but um, she was just kind of showing off a bit of skill there as well. Moving on to Emily Fox. I think Emily Fox did a great job on the left, getting up the pitch and also creating more chances and more passes. She wasn't directly involved a ton of times in play because she only played 12 minutes, but the play she was involved in, it was very efficient. And it was very direct and it was great to see. Uh, Christy Mios. I think she actually played better this game than she did last game. she, navigated the midfield really, really well. She created a couple chances uh, in addition to that. She didn't look as reckless this game, but I would say that the whole entire team didn't really look as reckless this game. They were a lot more composed, not as much heavy touches, not as much uh, really, really hard long balls. So there's that. She created a really good chance to Carly, who I believe ran right into the goalkeeper on that particular chance, and she took it like a champ, but um, it looked like it hurt a lot. So... um, Last but not least, going on to Midge Purse, she looked way more natural playing in the front line. Like I said earlier, she uh scored a goal, which is fantastic to see, but in the last game, Vladko had her as a I believe a left back or no, she was a right back. And I think that Vladko is just kind of trying something with her, much akin to like Crystal Dunn playing in the back line, but I think she's much more of a natural forward than she is a defender. And I think she kind of showed in that game, she looked a lot more comfortable. She had this one move where she beat a defender one-on-one and managed to get across. And so I think that was just more of a testament to her comfortability in that particular spot. All right, guys, I'm just going to take a breath real quick. That is all of my recaps of the team performance and the individual performances for this particular match. But to close out the segment, what is, or the main topic, I'm sorry, what does this really all mean going forward? Well, I'll say this. So Emily Sanna played really well again. I think that she's gotten a fire started within her to really make an effort and as strongly as she can make this Olympics roster. If she keeps it up, I think she's going to prove me wrong and she's going to play and uh, play well in the Olympics going forward, which, I, of course, I hope she does. And I think that Ellie Krieger's really proved that she can be invaluable for a team with her versatility and her ability to be um, a really solid outside back. And I think that as we play more games and as they play the She Believes Cup, I think she's going to continue to prove that going forward and she'll make the Olympic roster. Um, in this particular game, I don't think Lynn Williams really helped or hurt her case in this particular match. She didn't really stand out to me in particular, but... Um, there's that. I'm still pretty firm in the fact that Katerina Macario is going to make the Olympic roster. I think she's too strong of a player and she's too versatile of a player to leave off of this roster. Um, I I have very high hopes and very and I rate her very highly that she'll have an excellent career and start it uh, today. <laughs> she'll play very well as time goes on. I'm having further doubts as to whether or not Mallory Pugh will make the Olympic roster. She didn't get a chance to play in either friendly because of her injury. And if she keeps getting injured and isn't able to get on the pitch at all before the Olympics, there's no way that she's going to make the roster. I just don't see it happening. Um, because Vladco will have seen all these great world-class players play some of the world's best, and if Mallory Pugh hasn't played at all, like not even leading up uh, to the friendly, then that kind of does it for that. But um, I think Alana Cook helped her stock in the Olympics a little bit today. I didn't see a ton from her, Tierna Davidson, that would suggest that they should absolutely positively be in the Olympic roster there is still a ton of time between now and then, but just based off of what I've been seeing the last two friendlies, um, not much has changed for those two. But um, like I said, guys, those are just kind of my thoughts about what the Olympic roster will look like going forward because of these two friendlies. Like I said, there's still going to be a ton of time between uh, today and when the Olympics kicks off later on in July and in Tokyo. So time is going to tell at the end of the day. Whoever's going to be playing at the top of their game is going to play in the Olympics. So, guys, I want to know what you think about the friendlies. Feel free to jump down in the comments below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys, so let's keep it going. Let's get into the second main topic today, which is going to be the Manchester United match against Birmingham City and some thoughts and observations from that particular match. So let's look at the lineup for uh, Manchester United. So today, starting in goal, we had Mary Earps. In the left back position, we had Anna Batil. And in the center mid- defending position, there was Amy Turner and Millie Turner. Millie Turner is proving every game that she's just fantastic on getting her head to corner kicks. Uh, Martha Harris played on the right-back position. She took an injury earlier on in the half and it had to be subbed off, but uh, we'll get into that later. We had Haley Ladd, Katie Zellum, Jackie Gronin in the midfield, and then Ella Toon, Leah Galton, and Lauren James played up top. In the subs position, Kristen Press, uh, Jess Sigsworth, Rand Bentley. Kirsty Smith, uh, Kirsty Hansen, Maria Thorisdottir, who is the new signing from Chelsea FC, and Ivana Fuso. Um, overall impressions on the lineup, I think Casey Stoney got it right for this game, and it shows in the results because they won 2-0. I think that playing Lauren James ahead of Kristen Press was a good call because Lauren James has been in really great form as of late, and I would argue that Kristen Press is not. And it was further proved today because Lauren James had a ton of creativity. She created a ton of chances. She got an assist. And overall, she just played really well. So there's that. Um, No Tobin Heath today. I believe she, from what we heard last week, she picked up an injury. From some of the accounts I follow on different uh, platforms, it sounds like she was wearing a boot. That's purely speculation. So feel free to fact check me on that. But I don't see Tobin Heath playing in the next couple weeks if she's got a boot on. But I'm no physician. I'm no team doctor. So take that with a grain of salt. Um, overall thoughts on the game, I think that they bounced back really, really well from their match against Chelsea the previous week. For those of you who don't know, last week, Manchester United played against Chelsea FC and they lost to them by a score of 2-1. to one. It was United's first loss of the season, which uh Chelsea remained unbeaten, which, hey, full credit to them, that's hard to do, but I was a little worried that they would, um, have a bit of trouble today just kind of coping with that loss from last week but they certainly proved me wrong they bounced back very strongly and very well and i think that's a full credit to casey stoney for tactically maybe uh trying a few different things and getting the team back and refocused uh having said that there was a lot more creativity in the build-up today and in the passing between the forward line the forward line had the ball a lot more today than they did against Chelsea. The whole team in, in in general had to defend less because they were always on the front foot. They were always attacking. Uh, one of the main things that I noticed was that in the game against Chelsea, I think United would try too much to just play the ball through the midfield and have the midfield facilitate to the wings and the forwards. But today, it seemed like they did not only that, but they also used the fullbacks a little bit more to facilitate the play. For example, uh, Galton and... Um, Ella Toon might get the ball on the wing and then the fullbacks would kind of fly to the right and they'd be able to facilitate play that way as well. A little bit of give and go there. But the good part about all of that was is that the midfield I think was a little bit more accurate too. They were able to get the ball to the forwards and I think with the forwards' creativity they were able to create more chances. Lauren James had played out of her mind today. I think she was um, one of the best players in the match. Leah Galton, uh, I think she had a bad week or a bad game last time out and she stepped it up this game ended up scoring a goal which is a big difference maker and I think Ella Toon normally I if I'm not mistaken I've been seeing her play in the central attacking midfield role but today she played on the right wing and she made the most of it she exercised her creative oats as well and was able to score a goal on a tough angle um, for those of you who didn't get a chance to watch the game what happened was Kirstie uh, Hansen was flying up the right wing. She, I, I'm trying to remember who she got the ball from, but she had to fight with a defender to get it. She crossed the ball into uh, Elatoon. Elatoon took it with her right foot from across and goal, hit it off the post and it went in, and then that made the score 2-0. So that, that goal was massive. It was really cool to see Elatoon score a goal like that like it was just this stuff dreams were made of. I was super pumped when she scored, but credit to Kirsty Hansen for keeping that ball alive. That was that was a tough one to get through. Um overall impressions that I might have missed. Um I think going forward, I think the Chelsea uh the loss to Chelsea the week before was Uh, something that was a bit of a gut punch for them and that they uh, didn't take lightly. So I think this was a wake-up call for them to not rest on their laurels and to uh, just play to their fullest going forward for every single game. Every single point matters, especially with how uh, close the table is for this particular season and with how uh, how many games are uncertain because of the pandemic, because of weather conditions. There's been a lot of games in hand, so everything matters for this particular match. Um, I think United's in the right direction. This match certainly uh, proves that. I, I'm a big Casey Stoney fan, so I, I will say that her, her tactics are second to none. I think she is one of the great masterminds of footballing right now, and especially in the WSL, and she continues to prove it week in and week out. So um, if I had to sum it up, Galton, Toon, James, all three of them had a great match up top. They exercised a lot of creativity when they needed to, and they got the job done. Um, so much so that, uh, United did a great job at retaining possession, getting the ball to them that they barely really had to defend it all. I don't think Mary Earps made a save today. I don't think she had to make a save today. I'm trying to think a little bit. Yeah. I don't think Mary Earps had to make a save today, which is absolutely fantastic. That tells you almost all you need to know about how the match went. Um, I'm trying to remember what happened to, uh, Harris. Like I said, earlier on in the game, she was hurt she picked up an injury she collided with a Birmingham uh, defender I believe or a midfielder and she couldn't continue but Kirsty Smith was subbed on uh, right before the break I believe and she played phenomenally I thought she did a great job playing into what I was saying earlier where the fullbacks would get up a little bit higher and try to cross the ball into uh, the center of the box so there's that as well one other thing I want to mention which is a bright spot was um, I saw a lot of great passing today from Katie Zellum. I think she did a really good job at getting through the midfield and getting the ball to Leah Galton on the left. There were a couple times where she'd have to get through traffic and try to get the ball to Leah Galton to try to shoot and create a chance. And I think she did a really good job at doing that. The other thing I've noticed in recent weeks is that it seems as though Millie Turner's like, world-class when it comes to uh, heading uh crosses toward goal. It, she got her head on like two or three of them today and she continues to shine and get some goals for United that way. So, another positive note to take away from the game. So, guys, I think that'll do it for my overall thoughts on the United and Birmingham City match. Did you get a chance to watch it? Did you have a good time with it? What did you think? Feel free to jump down in the comments below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys, so before my camera dies, I think I'm going to wrap up this installment of the women's soccer slash football podcast guys it is an awesome honor and privilege to have you joining whether you're watching on audio whether you're listening on spotify anchor or otherwise it's fantastic to see so many people get involved in the fandom and i really do appreciate your time if you guys like what you're hearing you like what you're seeing uh feel free to like comment and subscribe so people just like you who are fans of women's soccer in general can uh more easily find videos like this And if you're looking for more consistent and fun content surrounding the world of women's soccer, we're also on TikTok, Instagram. uh, Why am I forgetting all these platforms' names now? Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. We're pretty much everywhere. We've even got a blog, which I'll also link down in the description below so you can find us more easily. Um, Until next time, everybody, my name is Bryce. This has been the Women's Soccer slash Football Podcast. And as always, have a great day.